Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm happy for Ned. He deserves it. First shutout with the Red Wings, and his grandparents were there. That's cute. You like that. Now I guess his grandparents have to come to every game now. Just have to get him on the road. I know it's a lot to ask that much travel, but with these home road splits, the Red Wings need something. So get him a couple seats. If they want to sit high up, we can do that. Lower down. In Buffalo, I think they actually paid his his grandparents to take those seats. Honestly, yeah. So Monday night, I'm sure the Sabres are going to be... (laughs) They're going to have a couple of Nadelkovich's in, uh, in attendance, whatever we have to do. But it was actually kind of surprising when Ken said that was Nadelkovich's first Red Wings shutout. I was like, it feels like he has 20 just because of how many games he's either kept close or outright won for Detroit. In uh, Jay Fresh's uh, goals saved above expected, Nadelkovich came in ranked 10th in the league, which is incredibly impressive considering... The Red Wings team he's on. Nice. It's nice things to start this episode. Yeah, hard to be disappointed with a shutout. First one since uh, May of 2021. That is far more recent than I thought it would be. <laughs> Honestly. I Someone suggested that it was late 2019, like New Year's Eve, and I was like, I wouldn't be surprised, but I just need to confirm. Even that seems way too soon. <laughs> But no, Grice had one in May of 2021 against the Lightning, believe it or not. That is a trivia stumper for sure. Oh, I, there's zero zero percent chance I would have gotten that right had you asked me two hours ago. Coupled with the timing, it makes sense because I guarantee Tampa was resting all their starters for a playoff run in that game. Yeah, they had like Kucherov and Point and Hedman all like sitting in the box just glaring down at the team. John Cooper was on the ice for that game. <laughs> Still almost had a point, I'm sure. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Uh, here to talk anything other than Brad's Buffalo Bills. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Buffalo Bill. <laughs> and I'm Evan. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be reviewing uh, and recapping the Red Wings' couple of games, which are truly at both ends of the hockey spectrum, uh, which is interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about Nedeljkovic and where he ranks among rookies in the NHL and even on his own team. Uh, and the power play. I mean, last game has changed that conversation a little bit, but the power play still warrants some discussion. Uh, we'll be talking about the All-Star game. Larkin is the Red Wings representative, and at the time of recording this, Raymond has a chance as one of the last men in. And then we'll be going through uh, whatever other NHL news uh, comes up, and we'll uh, we'll take on our tradition of making terrible um, betting recommendations. So you can just do the opposite of whatever we suggest. And then that's how you win before we get into overtime. Uh, Before we do all that, I want to uh, shout out everyone who helped contribute to the latest Wings Money on the Board campaign uh, in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, I know I mentioned this last episode, and you might have seen it on Instagram and Twitter, but it bears repeating. Uh, This last campaign cleared $5,000, this last uh, special event, which puts us at over $10,000 raised for the Jamie Daniels Foundation on the year. Uh, And we're not even done yet, so thank you all so, so very much. Um, we have a lot of cool things still in store. Uh, the giveaways are uh, for this one are to be announced as well. And I just want to read out a comment from Ken Daniels that he left uh, on Instagram. 
To Red Wings fans, uh, the Dub Dub boys ask for your help and you always respond in kind beyond anything we could hope for. Your continued support warms our hearts. So that's from Ken Daniels, obviously lead announcer for the Red Wings. Uh, Ken Daniels TV on Instagram. Obviously, go give him a follow as well. So uh, know that your support is seen and appreciated even beyond just us meatheads. It, it genuinely uh, does mean a lot to to Ken and Lisa and the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So um wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog if you want to know more about the Wings Money on the Board campaign and justgiving.com slash Wings Money on the Board if you want to contribute. All right. Um, which one of the D2 Detroit Red Wings games do we want to talk about first? And now that I say that out loud, let's just let's get the Winnipeg game out of the way. <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> the Winnipeg game sparked a discussion in our group chat about whether this Red Wings team has truly recovered not just from like you know like the rest of the nhl a lot of players got covid very fast what like went into protocol came back and you know they're all fine but speaking anecdotally as someone who's not remotely a professional athlete but a person who's in generally okay shape i'm still not at like 100 in terms of lung capacity or whatever so these guys are playing to the absolute maximum every night there's some reasonable conclusion here that they could be a little bit wiped from that. And also Max pointed out they've had very few, if no days off from new year's Eve till now, maybe I think they had one day last week and that was their first one in a while. Is that an explainer for what we saw in Winnipeg or against Winnipeg? Partially you couple, obviously even, I don't even think the COVID thing plays in that much to it because one, if a player was that out of shape, the training staff would probably notice and, and um, accommodations would be made if they play at all. Um, I think just that schedule alone, having no days off, so every day you either are practicing, traveling, or playing, um, is going to take a toll on your body for, what is it, 14, 15 straight days? Um I'm sure a few guys are still feeling it a little bit, but if it was anything significant, they wouldn't be playing. Are you sure though? Because who else is going to come up? If I'm Jeff Blashill, I want yeah. one of my better guys at 80, 85% rather than, you know, bringing someone up from the AHL. Yeah, that's fair. But then you factor in that almost the entire league has had COVID and other teams aren't responding to it the way the Red Wings are. Yeah. Because basically what it comes down to is you couple it with the lack of rest, like Max pointed out, and then the stat that Prashanth subjected us to. Um, <laughs> from how the Red Wings are performing since... Um, Subjected is the right word. <laughs> yeah, since November 30th. And uh, I think the polite answer here would be it's both. This team is significantly worse than they were at the start of the season, and they are probably completely gassed. Yeah. One of the big contributors to that, and it's funny because I'm going to bring up this conversation, and then it's going to quickly be followed by a game where they score two power play goals. But one of the biggest contributors to that has been the power play. Games where the Red Wings won earlier in the year when, by all accounts, they, sh they got outplayed on balance was on the backs of their best players. And that's not like a revolutionary statement to say in hockey, but really the power play was a huge opportunity for Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond, uh, Sider to shine and put, go put pucks in in a game where they it wasn't tilted in their favor. That power play dropped off, like dropped off an absolute cliff. 
And for all the celebration and joking and serious comments that we made about Alex Tange, I, I honestly have to sit here and say, like, I'm not saying nobody can criticize Jeff Blasio. What, that's whatever to me. But the same criticism has to apply to Alex Tange here. Because how do you have the same personnel where, you know, counter to the point I made just a few minutes ago, they're on the ice and they're playing, so they're healthy. How do you let the system kind of devolve back into a lot of what we've seen last season and the season before where there's just too much stasis, too much perimeter play, not enough movement, the positioning of the guys. I know there's there's conversations of, well, is it still in Tanga's control? Look, we're not exposed to that kind of information, so I don't really love to speculate on that. I, I take it as it's presented to us, and Tanga is the power play guy. So how and why has it gotten so bad again? Is it game planning against Lucas Raymond and Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi? Is it, you know, a streak of bad luck? Is it keeping guys in the wrong positions? Because it's a 180 from what we saw at the start of the year. I think it's a combination of a lot of things, unfortunately. Um, as much as I'd love for these answers to be clear cut, it's not. That's how we get an hour on a One, podcast, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One, it's bad habits that they've had for years that, you know, you, you can just see when things especially on the zone entries when things don't go exactly their way, it's just immediately revert to the same old dump and chase. That doesn't work. Um, the, the system that in terms of setup, in terms of player positioning, Tangay system at the beginning of the year, wasn't different. Um, they were still set up in the same basic quasi umbrella that they've been running for three, four five years. Um, so they're obviously still doing that and spoiler for the last three years, they haven't been doing that well, but the difference between Tang, what Tange had them doing early in the season for the first month and a half or so was everything was movement mm -hmm. within that structure. The puck would never stay still. The players, especially like the net front guys were darting in and out of the slot to the side of the net. They were running the puck down low a lot more and they were coming low to high a lot more, which they seemingly completely stopped doing for a while there. Um, so I don't think it was anything super dramatic. I think it was just complacency and bad habits. It's like, yeah, we're in the system that you want us to do. What do you want us to do? When the whole point of it is, well, you have to use it effectively, which is movement and pace, which God. is not what they were doing. Now, in Tangay's defense, uh, I would argue, at least for the second power play unit, there's one, maybe two guys on that unit who are even capable of running it properly with pace. So that's going to happen. Um, but there's no excuse for the top unit. They absolutely can. We've seen them do it well. And even lately, it's even we'll talk about in the Sabres game, the goals they scored were out of structure. Like mm -hmm. it was. Hey, something went wrong. We're going to regroup. And in the process of, you know, kind of not scrambling, but calling an audible, it worked and it ended up in the net. Which so, is good. You got to score yeah. those. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's, like I said, if I had to circle back to anything, bad system with too much complacency. Yeah. The second unit is like, I'm not going to get too bent out of shape with that one. Adam Ernie's playing below the goal line. <laughs> Which, like, I love Big Earn. Anytime he does anything offensive on the ice, I'm like, hell yeah, buddy. That's a plus on the night. But <laughs> if he's if he's running your below... Like, think of Tampa Bay's second unit. No, Ernie runs the bumper, doesn't he? Rasmussen is in that front. La I know they've been jung jumbling it a bit, but... Last night, I did see him just below the goal line a yeah. little bit. Kind of in that Bertuzzi spot that he's in sometimes. Yeah. And, like, I think it... I love when Bertuzzi gets the puck there. He's so dangerous with it, as we saw, of course, with uh, his goal. Um... 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's annoying because there's no like silver bullet, like one clean black and white answer, but you're right. It's a combination of a lot of things. It probably has to do with the fact that the guys are wiped probably has to do that. It's, you know, players are collapsing on Raymond. So they took him away as a, as a shooter with open space. Um, it has to do with those bad habits. Their entries have just been like any odd night you watch that team try to enter the zone and you're like, oh, have you carried a puck in your life? Like what is going on? The amount of flat feet kills me. Well, I, I, the puck carrier will almost always get blamed for a poor zone entry on the Red Wings power play. I think I blame everybody on the ice, but the puck carrier. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. they, they're not moving. There's, at a minimum, there's three stationary guys on there. The yeah. only successful ones they've had with any semblance of consistency are when Larkin and Raymond are coming up together because you can see they bounce it back and forth. The one thing I forgot to mention about why the power play is uh, failing outside of the transition, which we've talked about ad nauseum over the years, which everybody knows their breakout and break-ins suck, kind of ties into a bigger theme that to me really became prevalent in the Winnipeg game, although it's been noticeable for a while. You watch the Red Wings power play, everything they do is on the outside. They so infrequently get the puck to anybody in the slot or in front of the net or make a cross seam pass. And I don't think it's because they're incapable of it. And I don't think it's because Tangay's telling them not to do it. This team looks completely afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be a billion reasons why. Lack of confidence, uh, fear of the coach, um, playing an ultra-conservative style because they know they're on a cold streak right now and every mistake seems to end up in their net. Like, There's a million reasons why, and I don't even care why that's happening, but this team is playing scared because if a like, there's been times where you've seen the lane. On the power play, you know, someone will get it on the half wall or, and you'll see it open up and it's easier to see it from the stands and the camera than it is on the ice. But still, these guys are paid a million dollars and they usually see it more often than not. And they, and there's almost, you see that hesitation, the, they see it, they set up for it, they hesitate, it's gone. And now they have to go to the next play, which is just keeping it on the outside, keeping it on the outside. Oh, I've, I have some pressure on me, rim it around the boards. Like it's just, it happens to teams who get in a funk and the Red Wings have been in a funk since the beginning of December. So it's not surprising. That's the difference players but, who are skilled and deceptive make, right? Cause they yeah. can buy themselves that extra half second. And it's, but the thing is the Red Wings have those players and they're not doing it. No. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Largely. Yeah. I will say having the rest of the team, for the most part have these like really rough games makes me appreciate the guys who can like execute and make those quick decisions. Well, it's such a gimme answer, but Raymond insider are two of them like in high pressure zones, like Raymond will be just inside the opponent's blue line and will make the right decision with a guy or two collapsing on him. And it won't be the world's sexiest pass because those lanes are gone, but he'll make sure the puck is playable in Larkin or Bertuzzi or someone comes and picks it up. Sider, of course we see what he does exiting his zone, entering the, the other team's zone. It really does stand out. The Red Wings are, we've seen enough this year to know. They're a far cry from a really, really competitive team. They have a ways to go, and that's okay. I I think no matter how optimistic or pessimistic you were coming into the season, everyone was in that part of the spectrum to some capacity. That We all knew that was going to be the case. Um, It really does shine this year, though. Like 
when the Red Wings are bad and like just repeating myself from previous episodes here, two or three of their best players are just not having their night or being shut down. It's kind of game over. So that Winnipeg game ended up three nothing. The Red Wings got shut out. They had a six on three at one point. <laughs> Someone brought it up on Twitter. Wouldn't would you prefer a five on three there rather than a six on three? I saw that point made a lot. So taking the concept, so it's a. I'll answer this in two different ways. And I'm sorry, I'm sitting on the fence on seemingly every question tonight. But yeah, Evans over there. Hey, here we go. We got yeah. The do I would I have pulled the goalie there? No, you have a two man advantage. It was not needed, but let's say it was a little later in the game and a little more desperate. And people were saying, "Well, six guys on the ice is too many." No, that's not a real argument. <laughs> it's never if you have too many guys, you can throw an extra guy in front of the net. You can throw an extra one timer option out there. You can throw an extra guy in the bumper. They're not if you play this properly, they're not going to be collapsing on each other. So it's like, oh, they take up too much space. They're on your team. They're not taking up your space. It's it's fine to have that many guys out there. So I don't hate the six on three from that standpoint. Just in that situation, I wouldn't have done it because the risk, the risk. Yeah, you're you're only down by two, and there's still well, four minutes left. Yeah, go get your five on three, and then you know, hey, oh, we got it. There's three minutes left in the game now. And we got a five on four to kit for the rest of it. That might have been a better gamble. Chaotic take, pull the goalie, put the player in the net just for the hell of it. <laughs> I'd say yes, but um, odds are you'd throw a defenseman there. And honestly, I think Nadelkovich can throw a better breakout pass <laughs> than at least four of them. So, <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of Ned, obviously came up huge. The next game, Detroit had a big rebound game, 4 nothing uh, against Buffalo. Ned's first shutout with the Red Wings, the Red Wings' first shutout of the year, and their first shutout since May of 2021. Um, Ned's been fantastic for most games recently, and this was extremely well-deserved. Uh, and I thought what the Red Wings did well was just get, just convert on the dirty plays. Like Raymond's goal was by no means something I'd pick for his season highlight reel, but it's just one that he needed because he went, what, 15 games without scoring. You just need to break out of that funk. Bertuzzi has been great for the Red Wings, of course. And he just did like, he, Bertuzzi just picks the right play. Like he's just always doing the right thing for the most part, even when he's off. Like he whiffed on one that was more or less open in front, one of the first plays of the game, I think. And I just thought, oh, Bert, you got to convert on those. And then he goes out and has the night that he has. It's like, that's, you need guys like Bertuzzi who are going to either bang in the garbage goals or just get the puck in front of the net. And Fabry buried one to convert the Bertuzzi. Like, I don't even think it was an intentional pass. It wasn't. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff you need. Zadina was on the power play with, uh, was it a power play? It was a power play with Larkin and Bertuzzi for about six seconds. Yeah. So Zadina plays with those guys for six seconds, picks up the puck on the boards, makes a nice pass to Bertuzzi at the goal line, who gives it to Larkin, fires a shot, rebound came out, Bertuzzi, right place, right time, banged it home. That's the kind of stuff you need. It's not like, oh, oh, the Zadina situation is solved now. He's fixed. There we go. One secondary assist. That's all we needed, boys. But that's the kind of stuff you have to do. I think the Red Wings were the better team all game, but it was just a really like a lot of incremental small things that went right. And it made for a more complete game than we've seen in some time. It's good. Like Buffalo's a bad team. Yeah, oh, yeah. Let, let, let's be real. Buffalo's a bad team, but you should <laughs> something. Hot, we <laughs> that's a hot, hard hitting take, folks. <laughs> hey, not after October it was. But, uh, that's true. true. Remember when they <laughs> were the legal? Oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah. But um, but you should kick the shit out of them, and the Red Wings did, which which was good. Um, 
The only, it was a, a slump busting game. You know, Zadina got his first point in what feels like 10 years. Lucas Raymond got his first goal in just as long. Um, the only downside to that game was once again, it was all the play was driven by the top players on the wings. Yeah. Like Rasmussen. And, yeah. Like Offensive for, dynamo. Offensive. Michael Rasmussen. Yeah. I mean, good. Don't get me wrong. That was a nice finish. Now it was actually something I, I am. I'll tangent here quickly and talk about that. Cause that was something Rasmussen did a lot in junior that I haven't seen him do in the NHL, that no backswing kind of leaning his weight five-hole move. That was like his go-to in those situations, and I haven't seen him really do it in the NHL. So that was reassuring. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. It was because he had a penalty. He came out of the box at the right time. But beautiful finish. Has more yep. points than Zadina. No, they had the same amount of points that game. <laughs> He's got that, that game, on deck. That right? game. <laughs> but um, no, it was it was good to see. Like Again, another slump buster in the theme. But yeah, who who had the goals? Raymond from Larkin, uh, Fabry from Bertuzzi, and who was it? Um, Raymond. And then Bertuzzi from, uh, from Larkin and Zadina. Like, yeah. it, it was the guys that you would expect driving the show, that were driving the show for the Red Wings, which, again, is good. Not a bad thing. Um, this time was a little more split up, though, just because the lines were a little interesting, and they did seem – having more balance on the lines, lines did seem to work because it felt like Detroit did – control the play more which even in games they've won this season haven't really happened it's a bad team like the san jose game where they had a really good win like that that wasn't a good team having a good night you know but it doesn't matter you do need to convert on those like i said before we're not gonna beat the bad teams you have to that's how you get your points on the board and that's how you build that confidence and in a season where you're not you know win a lot your schedule's harder now like the grind of the season is on you um you have to take those wins where they are to preserve the positive effects of some semblance of winning that we've been seeing this season that hasn't been there the couple seasons previous just to get through the year and continue to build on your good work. And then next season you get a little bit better. And then the season after who knows, maybe you're talking playoffs or I don't know what's going to happen next season as well, but you just kind of have to, I think it's important to temper expectations and make sure that you're not, you know, fully expecting the Red Wings to get back in the race here. And all of a sudden, this is not just because the Red Wings beat Buffalo four nothing does not mean I'm expecting them to raise the President's <laughs> Trophy banner next year. Yeah, President's Trophy might be a little out of the question, but let's just say Western Conference or Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the games like that, like the San Jose game, where it was basically the Barracuda and, and the Sabers game last night. You can't take anything from those games systematically or take a lot to write home against the about the power play or the penalty kill or any of the nuances because the Sabres played so poorly that it's not. But where those games are important is confidence. Like I said, three yeah. very key slumps were broken in that game, and that is not small. So... Rasmussen got his, Zadina got his point, Raymond got his goal. If only one of those guys goes even on a quasi heater now, it's important. That game was worth it. That's yeah. all you need out of a game like that. So if Raymond all of a sudden pops seven goals in his next 13 games, amazing. If Rasmussen has six points in his next 10 games, amazing. If Zadina scores a fucking goal next game, perfect. <laughs> oh, oh, we hey. did it. <laughs> Let's not go crazy here. <laughs> Like it just takes one of those things to happen. And then that game gets circled as that was an important game. And not to mention the Red Wings rookie who finally got rewarded with the shutout. Yeah. I, he's been great all year though. He didn't need that. He really has been. <laughs> it's, it's a nice story and it, it's happy. He didn't need that. 
Let's talk about him very quickly here before jumping into the next topic. We just had a big conversation about the Calder race, and it was, you know, uh, Cider, Raymond, and Zegris, and I think that holds. Um, Prashanth Iyer made a, an interesting point on Twitter that he thinks, in terms of performance, he would put Nadelkovich above both Red Wings rookies this season. And it's a really a hard argument to dismiss right off the bat, right? Like, look at what Nadelkovich has done in terms of impact on individual games. Yes, Cider has made a huge impact. Yes, Raymond has made a huge impact. But even in games where the entire team sucked, Nadelkovich is the reason it was only 2 or 3 nothing going to the third period or something like that. He, he technically qualifies as a rookie. I know a lot of people have a hard time seeing past that. Hasn't stopped voters in the past. Um, I'm not saying I expect Alex Nadelkovich to be a finalist. I would expect him to get some votes. And I think, like we've said at the start of the season, I think that's deserved. He's been great. And if he continues at this pace... He does deserve that recognition. Yeah, I think the only thing working against him right now is um, now the rule's not written this way, so it shouldn't matter. But it matters to people is he's twenty five. Yeah, they're gonna Raymond's nineteen, Sider's twenty, Zegers is twenty. Unless he's having a Kirill, Kirill Kaprizov type season, yeah, he, he's not gonna rocket to the top. It's it's held against him. Yeah, Nedeljkovic would have to be a borderline Vesna candidate to I think really get a serious look with the voters this year. Um, which the way he's trending over the last month isn't crazy. I mean, hey, don't tempt us with a good time, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's always tough though. How do you judge a goalie who plays 60 minutes of a game versus a forward who will play 18, right? Like it's not apples to apples. It, it's not. So the fact that I don't really hear anyone outside of the Red Wing universe talking about him yeah. makes it we know it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, because Nedeljkovic as a starting goalie gets held to the standard of other starting goalies around the NHL. Now, he is, at worst, top half, probably top 10 in the league at that, whereas Sider and Raymond get, paired to, get compared to rookies at their position around the rest of the league. They get compared to, you know, Trevor Zegers and Michael Bunting and Tanner Janot, whereas Nedeljkovic is getting compared to Vasilevsky and Shesterkin. Gibson and Shesterkin. Fair, unfair. Um, like 10.2 goals uh, saved above expected is massive. You could make a very coherent argument right now that the Calder finalists are all Red Wings. I don't think it's going to work out that way, and I think Zegers probably does deserve it. But I think so too. You He's could you could make the argument. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on on merit alone, taking all circumstance and voter habits and age and all that off the table. Yeah. Ned's right there in terms of performance. He is, you could definitely make a case. He's at the top. I just don't think it'll win the Calder because of the circumstance. What's going to be a bigger risk of Evan throwing himself out the window in celebration. The Red Wings win the Stanley cup or Nadelkovic scores a goal. Nadelkovic scoring a goal might happen before the Red Wings win a cup. Yeah, I'm, it's definitely gonna happen before that. <laughs> I'm hear like, me out, hear me out. Nadelkovich scores the empty net goal to seal the Stanley Cup. <laughs> we'll never see Evan. Again. That would be wild. <laughs> <laughs> Red Wings are up two one. Minute left. Game seven. Cup finals. Ned sends one. We're down a podcast house due to defenestration. <laughs> Just straight out that window. It's um, it's a double window and it's framing between the two, so you can't go through the middle. You have to pick one window or the other. So you know. And they're a little narrower, and you're a broad guy, so 
Yeah, I'll have to go through like diagonally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this is like, there's not much else to be said other than this is a Ned celebration podcast. Like, so athletic. I think he's been great with the glove the last few games. He's made a ton of just wild saves. I love his goal. I, his, his style of play is really fun to watch. It's reminiscent. And I don't say this lightly. It's reminiscent of a lot of what made Dominic Hasek fun to watch with the Red Wings. Um, he's the Red Wings have been really blessed. I think the last couple of years, ever since they kind of got away from Jimmy Howard as his career petered off with Jonathan Bernier. And then at points, Grice, and now with Nedeljkovic, they have, they've had a lot of goaltending support. And the common theme during the rough games is that Nedeljkovic deserves better. And in the past, it was been Jonathan Bernie deserves better. And in the past, even before that, believe it or not, it was Jimmy Howard deserves better. It was a decade of Jimmy Howard deserves better. So at some point, these goalies should get paid back by their team. And I think the Red Wings are trending in that direction. But for now, all applause to Alex Nedeljkovic. And it's important that he doesn't get overshadowed by by Sider, Raymond, Zegras, and everyone else. And let's not forget, Jimmy Howard was a Calder finalist. At the age of twenty-seven, was that how old he was? Are you being funny? Turning twenty-seven, he yeah. was he was up there. Yeah. Oh my god! Because they drafted him in two thousand three, and that was the two thousand nine ten season, I believe. Oh my god! So seven years out of draft, I don't remember if he was a late birthday or not for his draft. So at youngest, he was twenty-five. Twenty ten, and he was born in eighty-four. Oh my god! Yeah, he was twenty-six. <laughs> Jeez. And then they change the rules. As as they should. <laughs> as they should have. Uh, before we jump into the next topic here, I do want to talk to you about how today's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, there are so many reasons why they're America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use, uh, tons of fun with unique bet types, and when you win, you get your winnings back uh, in a safely winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. They also have odd boosts and special bets every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win your first bet. That's right. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. And if you lose, you get that one grand back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000. And be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online, first online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Did you guys see that Jonathan Bergeron OT winner? I did. That was absolutely filthy. I don't know who that defenseman was. It's a shame that he can't play professional hockey anymore. <laughs> he must have had to have given Bergeron all of his equipment, his jersey and everything after that game. That is my worst nightmare as a defenseman. As a, I, in case you guys didn't know, I used to play defense. But in overtime too. In over oh my god. And even the move like the second move that he made in front of the net and where he buried that shot, like that was deceptive. Yeah, that's not a shot that should go high glove from there. That is absolutely goalies thinking high short side the entire time. What a freak. That was an incredible goal. I like I I just I think it was um 
can't remember what time I saw it, but I, I opened my phone and I watched that. And I'm like, oh man, who? I didn't really pay attention to who, like what the clip was. And I didn't recognize the jersey at first because the clip wasn't the best quality. And then I looked up and I saw that it was Grand Rapids. I'm like, tell me that was Johnson Berger. And it was absolutely insane. Deeks, the defenseman who then falls backward, his legs kick out in front of him onto the ice. Deeks, the same defenseman again, going the other way. <laughs> oh, you want a little bit more, eh? <laughs> oh my God. It's so rough. And then beats the goalie who was squared up to him the whole time. I'm not saying nobody made mistakes there, but I, I feel like some mistakes were made. Some mistakes were made. Um, not by John Timbergren. We, we got to have like a, a freeze frame um, of the defenseman with his feet up in the air. And then you get that record scratch yeah. freeze frame. You're wondering how I got here. Probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> it was this guy, John Timbergren. <laughs> no, he legitimately took his soul. That was, um, that was haunting to watch as someone who's been deked out of his pants before. One of those moments where you just stand up and yell, that man has a family. There was one time, and this is when I learned to stop. I was younger. It's when I learned to stop closing my eyes when I was about to throw a hit. Because that's what I would do. I would I would close my eyes. Why? I was instinctive. I don't know. I was, you're that just. feels like a bad idea on a few levels. Yeah, yeah. It, it was terrible. Let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> the Lord protected me for a Imagine while, if Cronhold did that. He'd miss a hit and make it all the way to the far blue line. I was a kid, right? And I, like, I don't know. I wasn't a big kid. So for my coaches, it was like, Ryan, just don't try to truck the guy. Just stop him. And I'll, you're a kid playing hockey. So you're like, no, I want to kill him. I want to make sure that. I want to inflict pain. Yeah. And uh, we played this, it was this tournament, and there's this kid who had the best hands I've ever seen, I've ever played against. Just relatively speaking, he was miles beyond who anyone. You played against Evan? Yeah, I did. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> he stuck me the finger every shift. And you definitely played against Evan. <laughs> I went to go hit him, and he was like, he was stationary. He was stationary, like in our corner, like barely moving. Puck was just on his stick, and I had momentum. I had him squared up, and I went to go hit him. And this was the moment I realized I closed my eyes when I hit because I quickly shut my eyes and my shoulders hit nothing and I opened them and he was past me and I was still falling <laughs> and I fell into the boards and smacked my head off the boards and probably concussed myself. I just kept playing because that's stupid hockey shit. And uh, yeah, that's uh, same energy as that defenseman there. I don't know why I told that story, but hey. I had a good laugh. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm that, glad vi- that visual is something I needed today. It, it, it's as ridiculous as it looks. And you know how the human brain works. I know you told that story as when you were a kid, but I see my, you as a grown man. Yeah, I, that whole story was you as you are now against the twelve year old. Wow, that's worse. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the All Star Game, a little controversial as it always is. I kind of miss uh, the controversy around the All Star Game, but. The good news is that Dylan Larkin's bounce back season has been rewarded and he was uh, selected as Detroit's representative uh, for the all-star game. Mort Sider, unless injury brings him into play, uh, wasn't selected. Neither was Lucas Raymond, but Lucas Raymond was the Red Wings representative for the last men in vote, which we'll get to in a second. So the full all-star game roster as selected, um, Sebastian Ajo for the Metro, Sebastian Ajo, Claude Giroux, Jack Hughes, Chris Kreider, some guy named Alex Ovechkin, Adam Fox, Adam Pellick, Zach Ruwenski, if you go by Evan's pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, Frederick Anderson and Tristan Jari. Uh, in the Atlantic, you have Drake Batherson, Patrice Hold Bergeron. On. 
Frederick Anderson and Tristan Jari. Yeah, what year is it? Just this? like we all predicted. <laughs> uh, Batherson, Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Huberdeau, Dylan Larkin for Detroit, Austin Matthews, Suzuki, Darlene, Hedman, Campbell, Vasilevsky. At least two of those are because this team had to have a representative, and that's the only reason. Which two? Batherson? Suzuki and Darlene, are you kidding oh, me? Oh, yeah, yeah, Suzuki and Darlene. Uh, Kyle Connor, Debrinkit, Kaprizov, Clayton Keller for Arizona, Kairou for St. Louis, McKinnon, Pavelski, Makar, Saros, and Talbot. And then in the Pacific, Dreisaitl, Eberle, Goudreau, Kempe, um, McDavid, Meyer, Stone, Petrangelo, Gibson, and Demko. Sasha Markov, where? Uh, last man in. Last man in. Up against Lucas Raymond right now. He's literally one of the best players in the world. Yeah, yeah no, no, but Darlene and uh, Suzuki have to be there. Who was it that went on that rant? It was McKinnon, right? Because Kadri was left off. Fifth yeah. in the league in points. Fourth. And not, Fourth. <laughs> and he's not. I think, doesn't he have like the best points per game right now? He's up there, yeah. I was. At, I knew Kadri was having a good season. And then I saw McKinnon's rant and like I saw some stats and I was like, hold on, Really? And yeah, Nazem Kadri. Yeah, the team with uh, Rantanen, McKinnon, Landeskog, uh, none of them lead that team in scoring. Kadri, uh, Leon Dreisaitl's points per game played, 1.54. Connor McDavid's, 1.56. Nazem Kadri, 1.53. Four- Did I also not hear a Victor Hedman in that statement? Uh, rundown? No, you would have heard Victor Hedman. Victor Hedman was selected for the Atlantic. Tampa Bay got two representatives. It was Hedman and Vasilevsky. That's, no. pro- that's probably not even enough. No. No, Stamkos should have been there. I mean, I hope he doesn't because he's last man in. Oh, yeah. Stamkos is sixth in league points as well. Yeah, not there. <laughs> Look, the nature of all the All-Star game means a lot of guys who deserve to go just won't be able to. I also think they should change the nature of the All-Star game selection. All-Star game's not for us. I, as soon as I like realized it wasn't for me, I stopped really caring. Yeah. It's I, not. It's for children. Or like they, It's marketed towards children. And new fans yeah not us it's also just like i i do like it as like a fun carefree thing but i also you can't evaluate two players against each other by all-star appearances and why don't they do it where like the nba where it's like if you are the best dunker but not in the all-star game you're still gonna come and um, do sweet dunks yeah. like i feel like it's a crime against hockey that trevor zegers isn't gonna be in the skills competition yeah it's 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 a big missed up the person who did the most skilled thing this year is not gonna be doing skills in the skills thing <laughs> the <laughs> nhl the aristocats yes yeah. no because i'm with evan like i i personally have no interest in the all-star game i might watch it if i have nothing better to do that day um but i i, I agree it's not for me i get that kids love it it's a billion goals you know cool jerseys all i get it the nhl makes money off of it so i'm not like anti all-star game what i'm anti is using all-star appearances to evaluate players throughout their career at this point. These, it means nothing. I think you do it when a player is retiring and you're listing off all of their accomplishments and you can say eight all-star games and it's not used as a measure against anyone else. And I think that's perfectly fine, but it almost diminishes now because if you actually look at how many John Scott games, all-star games, yeah. but like you can rhyme off all of like Sidney Crosby's career accomplishments. And it sounds like this is the greatest player who ever lived. And five all-star appearances. Like he, it just like it feels like it diminishes it. Cause he should be there every year till he retires. Cause there are players who are just that good, but they won't because of the every team has to have a representative. And we're doing it in this weird divisional format. Right. Like 
the, just, the it, more important thing is like all NHL first team selections at the end of the year. Yes, that is yeah. that's the actual measure, and I think that's in place because the All Star Game is such like oh, I bruised my shin four years ago. I got to oh, take the weekend tummy, off. Yeah, tummy. like everything that's wrong with the All Star Game could be solved if they just changed it to like not that this is a good name, but something like the mid season showcase. So it doesn't oh, have that is the most NHL name of all time. <laughs> I'm not saying they should do that, but I'm saying is all the problems could be solved if the end of season teams are the all stars and this is something else. You know what they should do? And we've mentioned this a thousand times, I think. Connor McDavid, he's the fastest skater. And then fans vote in who they think should do it, or players say, I want to crack it being the fastest skater in the NHL. Like, do something cool where it's like a gladiator-style event. That is so cool. Who's coming in now to do the Connor beat Connor McDavid in fastest skater and out walks, I don't know, Dylan Larkin or John Scott. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, (laughs) Phil Kessel walks out. No, my my way to fix the All-Star game permanently is every competition, the game, every event has an average beer leaguer in it, just so we see the comparison. <laughs> just so you see how bad you are. Compared to an NHL player. It doesn't even have to be. Take, like, the best guy in your beer league and put him in there and watch him get clowned. Okay, Evan, it took Evan 45 seconds to come up with that idea, and it would be the best thing the All-Star Game's ever done. That idea definitely got listed immediately in their their whiteboarding sessions, and it got crossed off immediately. Like, I'm. I agree with McKinnon. I think players like Cadre need to go. I think player like selfishly in 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 a Homer way here. Raymond and Sider with the seasons they're having, they're they're the only reason the national media is even talking about the Red Wings for the first time in however many years. And you're telling me there's a chance that neither of them go. You got to find a way to send these guys. You're both right. You bring. You bring a skill player in for the skills competition. You make it so the fans, it, there's actually, you're playing for some kind of keeps, right? Like no one can make the all-star game matter. You can't. It's it's just, it's for fun. And that's ubiquitous across all sports. But if you can make those competitions matter, because that's the only time Connor McDavid and, you know, whoever else can face off and say, yeah, I'm the fastest skater. Believe it or not, that's going to matter to those players. They care about that. These guys want to be the best at everything. If it has any ounce of competitiveness, they are all over it. Look at the dunk competition. That matters to NBA players. Yeah, that one guy who lost, like, had a big hissy fit about it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember anyone's name. So that's the most, like, generalized story of all (laughs) time. That one guy, that one time got pretty mad. Player upset. That really tall guy who jumped high and is good. (laughs) Did you guys see, uh, do you see how Cade Cunningham got ejected? Cade Cunningham got ejected for um, pointing, essentially. He got a tech for pointing after a sick reverse dunk. And he got the tech and he got the ejection. And you're just like, that is just the softest shit I've ever seen in my life. That is just absolute no fun. I don't want my league to be popular or make money. And I don't want my fans to be excited at all. Which is weird for the NBA because they're generally the league that embraces that kind of stuff. The most, yeah. I mean, they're the ones who have the dunk competition, which I don't even think is a perfect format. But... Think of one across all professional sports. Think of one event in any of their all-star competitions. And who's the, what's the first one that people will name? Home run derby. That's a very fair argument that I did not think of in my head. I would personally say NBA dunk competition, but the home run derby is a good one. Uh, yeah, I think it's would be. I don't know. I think it's probably close to a split, but seeing guys just absolutely mash homers is and like 15 in a row and then hitting like 40 in the round is ridiculous. It's big Mark McGuire and the uh, Simpsons. Or do you want to see some dingers? 
Or Homer just keeps yelling at Daryl Strawberry and then you just see him cry. <laughs> One tear comes out. Daryl. <laughs> Daryl. Uh, Anyways. Wait. Yeah. Didn't they used to do like rookies versus sophomores too? Like a game? Uh, the NBA did that for sure. I don't remember if the NHL ever did that. I miss uh, North America versus the world. Honestly, they literally they should just go back to that because it would be way more interesting. Anyhow, rather than uh, wax poetic about all the different things that the NHL could we do. We need some political stakes in the All-Star game to, <laughs> yeah, to make course. it interesting. It's Russia versus everybody, communism versus capitalism. Let's go. <laughs> it's a big CCP logo on the front. And disable comments on this. <laughs> uh, like I said, so there is a last man in vote. So every division will add one more player. So teams have a representative for the Red Wings. It's Lucas Raymond in the, in the Atlantic. He's up against McAvoy, Tage Thompson, Barkov, Toffoli, Kachuk, Stamkos, and Tavares. So, Woof. And it's decided by votes, right? Not by who the best player is. It's decided by fan votes. Thank Can- God Florida's only got 1,500 fans. Yeah, but he's going up against the Leafs captain, so not ideal. That's the thing, right? Like, Oh, man, you really want to market the game? Let's send John Tavares. What we should do, and I'm surprised nobody's done this yet, is uh, Red Wings fans need to form alliances. That, well, that, happens, that happens quite a bit, actually. So the Rangers, probably the biggest market in uh, the Metro, yeah? So we got it. So who's it? Zabenajad? Yep. There we go. We've got our Metro Alliance. Central, who should we who should we pair up with? Not Chicago, you. Not Colorado, just for you. moral reasons. Yeah. Um oh man. Arizona to send Phil because I think that's funny. No, we need votes. Uh, Dallas for Jason Robertson. Are they the biggest market left? Sure. Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, Winnipeg. Who's Minnesota Nashville's representatives? Ryan Hartman and Roman Yossi. I feel like we could get some Nashville going there. And in the Pacific, Troy Terry for Anaheim, I like. He's go, I don't care. I want market size. That's Vancouver, not. JT Miller. Not Vancouver fans are very apathetic this year. They're mad. Edmonton? Darnell Nurse? Ew. Oh, I don't know what you want from me, man. I don't know. Maybe Troy Terry's it. We do, everybody who like is connected in like subreddits or other you know Twitter feeds, make the alliances happen. Well, the voting ends on Monday at midnight. So, <laughs> does it? Is it that quick? We got lots quick? of time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that fucking it's quick. Fast. Holy shit! It's very weird. Like I didn't, I didn't know. Wait a, yeah, wait up. Market your brand. Hey, we're doing this cool fan vote. Everybody get involved, and it's over, <laughs> and it's gone. <laughs> I'm sure they had a release on how this was all going to be formatted at some point, and I understand COVID has messed things up. But I learned about the last man, and essentially, as the voting started, and I was like, oh, oh. Oh, okay. I, I do vaguely remember them doing this before, which I'm pretty sure is how John Scott got in. But uh, yeah, that I only remember it because of John Scott. The, and I'm pretty sure they changed the rules after that to make it less fun, which is why we have a set list. couldn't write anyone in anymore. Yeah, which is why there's a set list of eight per division. Just the kind of things that the NHL cared about, like calling John Scott to have essentially like threatened him. And they basically him. canceled his NHL career. Yeah, he never really played after that. That was it. I mean... Mark Bergevin, thank you very much. He wasn't. Oh, what? A, oh, yeah. All the list of asshole things Bergevin did. We always leave that one out. Look, man. I'm just saying, vote for Lucas Raymond. You can do it ten times a day until Monday night. Um, <laughs> you have 24 <laughs> hours to vote ten times. Hope you li- I hope you listen to this podcast fast. Someone who's listening, like who has like a three week backlog, is like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, oh, the NHL, eh? But you that John Scott All Star game was the most views in the past. It's what everyone 10 talks years. about. It's the only thing I remember from any All Star game any in the last All-Star. ten years. The last one I remember was Phil Kessel having his picture taken by Alex Ovechkin for being the last guy in the draft. Who was it? Which what? was, and I think that was literally ten or eleven years ago. That draft was amazing. It was Ovi that was just fully he, blasted. Right? He was completely buckled, and it made the whole night. That was incredible. They should do that every time. Oh, they absolutely should. They're like, oh, we don't want to embarrass our players. Shut up. They're at the All-Star game. Let's embarrass <laughs> Oh, them. yeah. These guys making millions of dollars. Oh, the yeah. best of the world. They're so embarrassed. Actually, it was, it was Ovi both years because he was the one taking the picture of Phil the last one. And the next one, he was saying, don't pick me. I need a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ovechkin's really struggling. <laughs> well, the the le- story behind the car was actually pretty heartwarming. But it, still. Was, it was nice. But, man, how do you not love Ovi? Uh, I don't think there's like there's a lot of people early in his career who were like yeah yeah that's the, the the good old Canadian boys crosses my guy so screw the Ovi guy Ovechkin but, does celebrations too strongly yeah I like him now that his career arc's coming I don't know anybody who hates the, the guy the fact that there's a whole discourse around whether his stick on fire celebration was appropriate was everything wrong with hockey I mean <laughs> yeah Sean Avery was doing literal push-ups on the ice after scoring a goal once I, I oh think, but he's a tough Canadian <laughs> yeah that's uh, that is true. Well, um, here's the uh, like other good news. For anyone who's not really familiar, uh, players don't always want to go to the All-Star game. because Tough shit. They want to rest. Earn your paychecks. I won't lie. I would hate <laughs> to go to the All-Star game. Yeah, and that's why I don't go. They, uh, they want to rest. A lot of guys are nursing like lingering injuries. They want the vacation time. Um, there's going to be substitutions. So if Mo or Raymond don't get in, even through the, like Raymond through the last minute, in, they'll have opportunities to go. They, they might, it might still work out. Who knows? Um, so you would, if you were an NHL player, you wouldn't go. No the call. The NHL grind sucks. And the time that they spend away from their families is probably very difficult. So I would take every opportunity to be not at my job. I will never, ever, ever get over the one game suspensions for Datsuk and Lidstrom. <laughs> I will never get over that. I am a petty I'm a petty asshole and I don't let stuff go that I should. That's just like marginal. And that one will stick with me forever. The whole rationalization behind it is hilarious because they're they're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go because I'm playing a lot of hockey right now. and My body hurts. They're like, all right, well, you can now play one less game. We're suspending you. Okay, thank you. You know you put on a really marquee and premier event when the stars <laughs> of it are like, nah. <laughs> we need to have uh, we need to have Jeff Merrick back on the show because our all star discussion from a while back. That's that's what the NHL should do. Just have like one year pick Merrick, one year pick you know I don't care who else. Let them decide the rules for the All Star games, and essentially, eventually over like four or five years, you can just cherry pick what worked the best. Or just defer to what I say everyone should do for any contentious topic. Everyone shut up. Evan's the only mic that's unmuted and he just decides. And it doesn't matter how stupid you think it is. It's better than what we're doing now. This guy's been checked out half the time. Who cares? <laughs> Nathan McKinnon is now playing goalie in the All-Star game. That's incredible. Pick pick a, pick a who do you think got snubbed the most. And whoever gets the most votes, fine. He can go, but he has to play goalie. <laughs> Evan starts with, I don't know how we're going to use the circus elephant, but I know we are going to use the circus I have, elephant. I have, a, I have this budget. This is what I'm planning to do with it. We'll figure out the rest. Okay. Uh, we have time for our um, our uh, 
Brad and Ryan picked terrible bets segment oh, before. Uh, totally forgot what I was going to say. So this yeah. is perfect timing. This is the uh, FanDuel sponsored segment where we go over some fun betting lines uh, across the world of hockey and maybe in the offseason we'll do other sports. Uh, but across the world of hockey and anything from uh, game lines to tr- awards or whatever. So Evan, you've had the luxury of deciding what we're going to chat about today. So I thought I'd st- I thought I would start very light to warm up our betting brains Mm -hmm. and i was looking at futures so that's basically predicting things that or betting on things that may or may not happen obviously and this one was to win the stanley cup okay the just to put in context colorado avalanche have the odds on favorite to win at plus 550 so if you put down a hundred dollars you and they won you'd win 550 dollars right yeah with your hundred back right and then at the bottom of the list, there's a lot of zeros. I got to count this up. They didn't give me commas. Buffalo Sabres. Well, there's five teams. Montreal, Ottawa, Seattle, Arizona, Buffalo, all at plus 330,000. For, for Stanley Cup, those are all gone. You don't put any money on that. I'm sorry, you don't. But what if? No. no. <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to, you know, give you yeah, the yeah. bars here. Um, one that I thought that was slightly intriguing was uh florida plus a thousand florida plus a thousand i like better than vegas plus 750 honestly i like that way more yeah vegas they still have jack eichel to return but they have stuff to figure out in terms of salary cap and you don't know how jack eichel is going to return right it's not a team that's had an easy season yeah in the in for comparison the leafs are also plus a thousand and i think that's you know looking at those two teams i think i like florida a lot better than toronto because until toronto wins a playoff series their odds are irrelevant to me the canes at plus 1300 is also pretty intriguing right like freddie anderson goes on a a tear in the playoffs they have the firepower they're also apparently in on jacob chikrin that's a team that could do some damage I would take either Florida or Carolina over Colorado at plus 550. <laughs> if you were sprinkling money, would you take Edmonton at plus 3,500? No. no. Ah. Edmonton's not doing it this year. I'm sorry. They're just not. But plus 3,500 for a team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, they're one goaltending heater away from, yeah, maybe. Who Who's going to go in that heater? Me? Alex Stalock. Mike Smith had the season of all seasons that didn't make sense last year. So weirder things have happened. Again, there's a reason the Oilers are plus 3,500. So if you're using logic here, of course, they're not going to win the cup. But if there's a team that has odds that long, that could do it. It's the team with McJesus. You're inherently right. You are totally right. You have the best player on the planet and arguably the second best player, or at least the guy who's in the two ABCD tier. That should make the difference. If this was the NBA, I would I would put all my money on that plus 3,500. But it's just not the way the NHL works in my mind. I don't know. I'm speaking in too many certainties here. No, yeah. If I'm, if I'm looking to maximize my winnings, that's the bet I'm making. Honestly, out of everything Evan listed out, if I'm slapping my bet down, it's Florida at plus 1000 yeah um the other ones that i thought were slightly intriguing sticking we'll keep with the atlantic for right now um to win the division um florida also at plus 195 where are they at in the division what's the they are leading the division yeah but you got tampa and toronto on their heels this division feels too wide open 
Well, to, to sort of benchmark this, they've got Tampa at plus 170 and the Leafs at plus 200. And then Boston at plus 1700. Yeah. Which I think this is a three horse race. Um, but in terms of just pure betting, I think I like Florida there. The Red Wings at plus 15,000 is also very tempting. But Hell yeah, there's my money. <laughs> to win the division. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that for sure. There we go. Ned, I'm coming and I'm giving you the biggest vat of steroids I could find. Please. <laughs> Please. Nobody, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's drug testing the Red Wings this year. No, exactly. <laughs> Dylan Larkin skates over the next game at 275 pounds. <laughs> his, his helmet says HGH on it. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't. There was some other interesting ones as well in terms of winning the Western and Eastern conferences. Okay, hold on. There's one team I'm sick and twisted. I want to know the odds. Nashville to win the Central. Nashville to win the Central. Uh, Plus eight hundred. That's that's a good bet. They are in one right now. UC Soros makes a big difference for that, yeah. right? Yeah. Nashville is the team that makes the least sense in the NHL this year. Colorado's actually minus two forty to win that division. That's how automatic they think they are. You're not going to get. You know, over a hundred percent return there. So I like Calgary in the Pacific to win it for plus two hundred. Yeah, second best odds. You have whatever that mess is with Edmonton behind them, Edmonton, LA, San Jose. Like it's just not it's not a lot pushing, right? So that could go to if Vegas again, like if Vegas has a messier return with Jack Eichel, that's prime for Calgary to jump in there. Yeah. Anyhow, uh let us know what you do and if you do partake in the you can let us know how terrible our advice is. Send us the receipts for every bet you put on the Red Wings to win anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into overtime here. Uh, overtime in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, they're the reason we're able to run this show, uh, continue to, as my uh, girlfriend tells me, be on our bullshit uh, as yep. much as we are. So thank you all. Um, Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to help support the show. All right, let's take a few questions. Winged Wheels and Steering Wheels says, looking into the crystal ball here, who will be Detroit's first major free agent signing or trade acquisition? I still think they end up with either McDavid or Dreisaitl somehow. God bless you. <laughs> Boy, that's... What are the betting odds on that one? <laughs> that data is still being tabulated by Harvard. Yeah. Uh, may, like, okay, if you're talking major in terms of like that was the talk of the town, the entire trade deadline or the entire free agency i don't know that we're going to see that for two more years it's going to be a long time we don't know who that is there there was one name so when sportsnet released their top 10 free agents list that basically was a list of here's everybody the red wings aren't getting one because the youngest of them will be 28 by the time the next season starts and two obviously if everybody's recognizing these are the best free agents um, they're going to sign for way too long and way too much money. And Detroit is not signing anybody at 28 years old for longer than like five years. And none of those guys are going to get a contract that short. Hampus Lindholm wasn't on that list. Hmm. I'm a big Hampus Lindholm fan. I will happily overpay him on AAV. And there is a reasonable chance that he could settle for a four or five year contract. If he is not one of the more in demand guys, 27 years old. So it'll be 28 basically for the start of next year. You sign him through his like age 32, 33 season. That could be doable. He just turned 27 in January. Or sorry, no, he will. <laughs> oh, I don't know what day what it is. What year is it? He's turning, he's turning 28 in four days. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, you yeah. can sign him through his like 32, 33 year. That could be, and hey, Swedish. Okay, 
I'm going to say something and it's going to be stupid. And I want to let you know that I know it's stupid. Outside shot that the Red Wings bring in Chikrin. Stupid. They, I mean, they should be in on him. Cost controlled and young, like, and at a direct position of need for them right now. Um, but where the number of pieces the Red Wings would have to give up, I don't see how that would end up being worth it unless they're just lucky enough that they're able to trade all the major pieces from positions where they have a surplus, which is unlikely. Um, okay. We're going to jump into the next question here from Jake Nagy, who says with Bertuzzi playing at a point per game pace and being the type of guy is built for the postseason, do you think he'd be the number one trade target for contenders across the NHL at the deadline? If Stevie's willing to move him just a few months ago, it seemed quite likely he'd get dealt, but now it seems a lot tougher to envision as parting ways. I personally don't think the Bertuzzi story has changed at all. Fantastic player built for the deadline, heart and soul guy loved by teammates, Loved by fans, you know, but as long as the as long as the guidelines and the laws in place are that he can't play in Canada and nothing else changes on that front, he is going to have a giant anchor tied to his value. Plain and simple, unless a team knows for sure that they are not going to run into a Canadian team in the playoffs, which some years <laughs> pretty good bet. Um, they're not dealing at the kind of assets that would be worth it for Bertuzzi. I'm sorry. Um, devil's advocate, there is currently only one Canadian team in a playoff spot. And that's where the difference might be made. <laughs> but then you also have to sign this guy, right? And it's like, yeah, the, these these guidelines and these uh, the border laws are probably not going to be in place forever. I don't pretend to know, and I actually don't care to argue about it. But you can, you can imagine something changing at some point to kind of open up that flexibility for Bertuzzi to play in Canada. If you want to imagine it, I don't know. I, we're not Red Wings fans aren't hanging their hopes on that right now. Like we imagine we're going to go through the rest of the season and probably next with that still being an issue. But yeah, Bertuzzi's he's got a lot of value. Coaches are going to want that guy. There's more question about, you know, what the sentiment is around his decision to not vaccinate because he's the only one left in the league. And that's been something that's been talked about in, in league circles. But I don't know. I don't know. He's he's the most curious player in the league, and I don't think that circumstance has changed. That's just my opinion. And someone else asked, uh, I think Slava Gerasimchuk uh, asked about his what his vaccination status and how that relates to his trade uh, value. Um, C-Nods, I'm sorry, I accidentally hit delete on your comment, but I did read it before. I meant to hit the little heart. Um, this came up on a different show. I actually can't remember which one it was. Maybe the athletic show. Um, who is the most famous person to wear each team's jersey? So who would that be for Detroit? Gordy? No, no, like celebrity. <laughs> oh. So it, it it depends on the context. What's the most memorable celebrity wearing a Red Wings jersey? It's definitely, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the characters. Tupac. <laughs> so not that memorable. Yeah. No, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Everybody knows oh, that yeah. Gordy jersey, but in terms of the actual status of the celebrity wearing it, it's Tupac. It's the Tupac picture. Everyone know. Everyone's yeah. seen the picture. Oh, the Red Wings have two really good ones, eh? Like the yeah. Ferris Bueller one's really great. That's a Halloween costume every year. Yeah. So and, and let's not forget, we can't um, understate how huge of a show Full House was in the 90s and Dave Coulier littered that set with Red Wings gear and he was frequently wearing Red Wings jerseys. So that was constantly in uh, the general population's mm-hmm. face as well. Um, okay. 
<laughs> this one's rude, but I'm going to read it anyways. Dry January Rumchadas says, I think Zadina's scoring touch is similar <laughs> to what Ryan's mom must think of him in regards to being him becoming a doctor. Has a lot of promise, but no finish. Hopefully Zadina can learn a thing or two about scoring from elite linemate Michael Rasmussen and yesterday's success can continue moving forward. In football news, watching Josh Allen as a Colts fan and experiencing the Carson Wentz roller coaster hurt my soul. Nice of the Sabres to let the Bills have all of the energy in Buffalo sports last night. There is not a person in Buffalo who even knew the Sabres were playing last night. <laughs> I don't. I think the Sabres were trying to watch the game on the bench. That would explain why they were so distracted. Oh, yeah. That was the greatest moment in the city of Buffalo's history. Brad, I'm going to commend you. You've been incredibly restrained this episode. Probably not on YouTube. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, yes, that is a Bills jersey that Brad's been wearing this whole time. <laughs> while I while I pick our next comment, Brad, you can do your little spiel about your Bills. They kicked the shit out of the Patriots in the playoffs and pitched a perfect offensive game. I, I don't need to say anything. This is the happiest 24 hours of my life. Kids come second and third. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Crystal doesn't get the honorable mention at all. No, no, that's where all the wings cups fit in. No, no occasion where you and I being were there and Brad's life counts. I don't pretend to be in that list. Oh. You know, I will say, Evan saying I love violence cracks the top ten. I love violence. I do. <laughs> this guy's quotability per words is through the roof. He's Nazem Kadri. Everyone's like, really? Evan? That many quotes? No, he's yeah. Timo Meyer. The per 60 numbers. Best in the league. Oh, God. Oh. Best all-around podcaster <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I would tend to agree with that statement. Someone got a screenshot of you. I was uh, I was wearing the Retire 91 jersey from yeah. Paniotis, and someone got a screenshot, and they looked over at you, and I hadn't noticed because I was looking at the t-shirt in it. And I have to say, as your friend... It is the worst picture of a human being I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It is bad, man. You look rough. I feel rough was, all the time, how, so that doesn't surprise me. How long ago was this? Was that that existential crisis picture that I put in the group chat the one time when someone tweeted? No, no. This was literally like a few days ago. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It was um, It was rough. <laughs> it. He looked dead. His eyes were practically closed as they always are. <laughs> and he looked like he was 7,000 pounds with no spine. Like he was just made of jelly. <laughs> a blob of Evan. Yeah. He, it was. Well, he makes the milk bag jokes often enough. He decided to become one. I think, I honestly think a milk bag had more structure <laughs> than Evan in that picture. And I'm really sorry to say, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm biding time to try and find it. I, w- I won't be able to. It, it was a uh, no bones. Oh, here it is. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I was probably trying to eat a sneeze or something. <laughs> I do it for you, Ryan. Thank I you. do it for you. And if that is not your profile picture on everything, by tomorrow, we are not friends. <laughs> and for anyone who's like, man, Ryan, you're being an asshole. I'm saying this because this dude is cut from marble. He eats like shit and still looks like a Greek god. It is so annoying. Every time I look at my thinning hairline, I think of Evans. All he does is wear hats, <laughs> aggressively itch his head, and he grows Into more hair. Yeah. <laughs> so he can take it. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, would you, if offered, trade Bertuzzi for the Oilers' first round pick? Most likely be middle of the round. Looking at the rankings, that's Jonathan LeCaramacchi territory, who's a center with a really nice scoring touch, 34 points in 25 games, then U20, and uh, three points in 10 games in the SHL. I'm going to say no, because I think 
Bertuzzi's value will be maximized once the restrictions are lifted. And I think you could get more than that for him at peak value right now. Like a a point per game player going to a contender on a reasonable contract, like that's worth more than a first round pick. That's first round plus territory all day, every day, even for a rental. Yeah, think of what Nick Foligno got last year. Exactly, and Bertuzzi is light years ahead of where Foligno was at that point. And I know that wasn't a good trade for Toronto, but still, yeah, Toronto was not the only team in on him. Yeah. Well, um, we'll see where that goes. Again, the Bertuzzi discussion is an interesting one. I don't want to see the guy go, but you. One thing that's also not often discussed is the back injury, right? Like, do you risk his production being this high for long enough to make justify keeping him, or do you say, hey? This is a guy who may have a back condition that's going to come back, right? So it's a it's a long term thing. One season doesn't uh, get rid of all all risk there. Anyhow, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're about to record our Patreon exclusive overtime where we take the rest of your questions and comments and uh, loosen up a bit. Evan's allowed to say the f word, which he does. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, and we'd like to thank all of our listeners, um, the sponsor of this episode, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver for the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam a Jamathong. Oh, I lost it there. Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Carl Brutana Nanaluski. Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Your Friendly Neighborhood Window Beaver, <laughs> Zach Spring, Zarly Zalapsky, uh, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie. After Tuesday, even the calendar says WTF. Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evan's Spicy Rumchata Boof, <laughs> Evan's Bingo Card, <laughs> Goose Egg Ned, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. Uh, We'll see you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.